Hello and welcome to the XXLA Architects Podcast, a show featuring Los Angeles' leading women in architecture and issues relevant to the profession. I'm your host, Audrey Sato, and today I'm here with the amazingly multi-talented Nina Briggs, discussing her career in residential design, academia, and the latest project she's working on, a documentary called Practitioners. As we will hear from Nina, Practitioners gives us a view into the diverse and extraordinary careers of women in and around the architecture community in Los Angeles and sheds light onto these women's undeniable impact on our community. In addition to working on practitioners, Nina has been recognized this year by ASID with a One to Watch Scholars Award for Education Leadership. Nina has taught in universities since 1997, and during this episode, she also tells us about her really fascinating unorthodox path into academia. Nina is also the founding principal of The Fabric and has been practicing residential design since 1987. Her approach to design integrates ethnographic strategies to understand the wants and needs of the user, an approach that results in spaces that positively affects inhabitants psychologically, and I think illustrates a deep care for the people she designs for. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Nina as much as I did. Let's listen in. What is your process like? You're the founding principal at The Fabric, which is your own residential design studio. When you start a project, what is that process like for you? Well, at this point, I I like to call myself a professional people watcher. <laughs> it's, you know, I guess ethnographers call themselves observers of human behavior. A lot of it can really be done by observing on a, a deeper, non-judgmental level. You know, a combination of... Uh, listening beyond what people say, understanding what body language moves mean, understanding that people don't usually say what they mean, um, and really trying to translate what they say into what they mean. But it's it starts with observation. So to be able to observe people, to observe their behaviors, to try to understand what they're doing and why they're doing it without judgment, and in fact with empathy, I think, prepares you to be a better designer. Sure, absolutely. So all of this kind of unspoken messaging, communication, and space-making that humans do that is unseen, I believe, needs to be seen and understood by designers. And so we don't really have budgets for ethnographic research in our (laughs) architecture (laughs) projects. Sure. So I have different methodologies to kind of fold those observations into the pre-design and schematic design phases. Uh, Sometimes I diagram, sometimes I put together observations um, with photos. Um, And then a huge part of it is the interview process. I mean, interviewing anyone is going to be more successful if you ask the right questions. And so... The, the kind of probing questions that make people feel safe enough to reveal to you what's really happening in their spaces or what they really want to happen in their spaces, I think that's the trick. Yeah, it's hard to open up and say things 
that you feel very private about, or sometimes as a client, they may not even know that they want something. So they may not even know that they should say it. Right, exactly. And then sometimes I've, I've done post-occupancy interviews. Uh-huh. Um, so evidence-based design is great because even if there were some failures on a previous project, you can apply the lessons to future projects. It's an ongoing education what got you interested in taking this approach to design that's more based on anthropology and psychology and human behavior? I don't know if I became, if I was always like that. I mean, I remember thinking about these things when I was in school. I read Edward Hall's Hidden Dimension in architecture school. I read William Holly White's The Social Life of Small Urban Spaces in architecture school and I even though that book uh, and his uh, film was about people's behavior in the public plazas in New York City I immediately translated those lessons to interior spaces in my mind so I remember reading The Eyes of the Skin very early by Yohani Palasma so I don't remember not approaching design from those perspectives. It just seemed natural to me. Mm-hmm. But I found out later that it was not mainstream. <laughs> <laughs> I think these things are universally human. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, we, um, we are different um, geographically and culturally. But there are some things that are wholly human and universal. And I think architects need to know what those things are. And it, and it unites us as a species. You know, there are things that are just natural. And lots of them are unexpected and surprising. We cannot assume that we know everything about how people are going to use a space. Mm-hmm. But we can design better if we come from a more informed, empathetic, educated, inquisitive, curious perspective about what people do. Some of the things are really quirky. Mm -hmm. So right now you're teaching at Woodbury. Mm -hmm. And what are you teaching there? Well, I teach different things every semester. I never really teach the same thing every semester, so... Sometimes it's studio, sometimes it's a a human agency class, sometimes it's a graphic, I mean, a a graduate course called Figuring Space, sometimes it's space planning, sometimes it's professional practice. I've been teaching for a while now, so I'm happy to teach whatever. Wow. (laughs) You're very flexible. (laughs) I mean, it it takes so much effort to teach a new class that it sounds like um, it is. Know. It's. 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 I mean, it takes so much effort even to teach a class that I've taught before because each group of students is 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 new and different. No class is ever the same, even if it was the same class last semester. So, um, fortunately, I don't have to reinvent the wheel if I've taught the class before. But it definitely gets upgraded or improved and looking at the successes and the failures and 
the student evaluations or comments or and especially if I'm team teaching, we spend a lot of time in after the class is over trying to understand how to improve it and so I think it's always a lot of work teaching. Mm-hmm. But you must find it incredibly rewarding to put in that amount of effort. I, I love teaching. I, I, I really do. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not an easy job, but it, um, it keeps me on my toes. And especially when you're teaching a, a semi-vocational field, mm-hmm. um, because not only do you have to meet academic and intellectual standards, but they have to be relevant to practice. And so keeping that balance mm-hmm. is a is a constant challenge. Right. How did you get started teaching? Was it something you always wanted to do? No, I never even thought about teaching. It didn't occur to me, but... Um, uh, when I was an emerging professional, I had kind of an epiphany about how I was taught to think and solve problems in architecture. And I had been working in an office um, that had in-house consultants of other disciplines. And I started to notice how when we'd have meetings and talk about projects, how differently the non-architects approached solutions to problems um, whether they were design problems or structural problems or construction problems, and how my gratitude for the way I was taught to think grew uh, in the spatial acuity ability and the kind of optimistic flexibility to uh, solve problems and to see multiple solutions. And uh, it just occurred to me, what if children were taught that at a very young age? Um, not trying to make them grow up and be architects, but that kind of critical thinking and problem solving. And so I wrote a little pamphlet on teaching architectural thinking to children. And then I shopped it to local community art programs that I knew were providing free after-school classes. And one art program hired me to teach this. They took a really big chance on me because I hadn't had any teaching experience, but I don't know, I was just kind of passionate about this idea at the time. Thought I had invented something. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so I taught there for a while, and it was great success, and... Uh, Then some local elementary schools heard about it and asked me to come teach those schools and a middle school. And so, I don't know, within a year, I was teaching that program at about seven different schools and programs around the city, which became exhausting and spread me really thin. But it was a lot of fun. And so then I moved the program to my studio Um, because I thought I could be more effective if the kids came to me. I was not happy about the fact that those kids would probably only come from that neighborhood. Mm -hmm. What was great about traveling around the city was I was going to a lot of different neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. So I did that for a while, and um, 
then taught at a middle school just exclusively. They like created an architecture curriculum for eighth graders. Wow. Yeah, that was a private middle school and that was fun. And then of course, every year I would curate an exhibit of the students' work throughout the year and Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, it was really those wheels <laughs> were fun years. And then um I had the opportunity to um teach at a university and I said okay. <laughs> <laughs> And then it kind of grew from there. That's incredible. I mean, it's such a different story as to how you got involved in teaching versus teaching kids. Um, that's incredible. <laughs> I know. It's a little strange. But it made me fall in love with teaching. Yeah. And I think the impact you have on someone when they're a lot younger like that is so different from when you're teaching someone who's college aged. Yeah, it's, it's. I mean, by this, after 18 years, I, I think I've taught almost every age. Wow. Including people my age. And um, there are differences, but not many. Really? That's crazy. That's great. Yeah. The, the projects and the vehicles may be different, mm -hmm. but... It's really just, I never really thought about how to articulate that before. But there's, I think teaching is more about impartation and reception and finding that ideal frequency. Being willing to find the frequency for each student so that um, you can impart what you're charged to teach them in a language that they can understand and receive. Yeah, I see that. So it's less about age and more about individuals mm -hmm. because we, we all process information differently. And so if you process information um, in a kinesthetic way at the age of six, you're most likely going to process that information the same way at 36. Huh, sure. You know, we're all learners, but, right. but we all learn differently. Right. That's incredible. So do you feel like the lessons you were teaching to a six-year-old are the same lessons you're teaching to a 50-year-old? Well, of course, the lessons are age-appropriate and I guess you could say more sophisticated or more complex um, for older students, but I believe that anyone can be taught to heighten and improve um, three-dimensional thinking and spatial acuity. It's, it's flexible. It's elastic. That's what I mean by everybody has different learning styles, different talents, different innate skills and abilities, but it doesn't mean they can't improve upon them or learn more. So it's just really layering on those abilities in a way that can be received by the learner. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, maybe let's change subjects for a little bit. I haven't really talked about AWA plus D on the podcast before, and I think it's a really great group and um, a really inspiring group of women. Can you tell me a little bit about your involvement with the group 
Yeah, I became a member of AWA 30 years ago. These women are my mentors, my colleagues, my friends. A lot of them um, have helped me grow as a professional. Uh, but I remember early in my career, I was really seeking other women. This is back in the 1980s. I was really seeking other women that I could talk to about day-to-day logistical, personal how-tos, you know. My questions were always, how do you do this? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And maintain your identity and and your authenticity and your integrity and your time and your weekends and your, right. <laughs> you know, I was always asking questions like that. And they answered them, you know, generously. And I think um, it's really important to surround yourself with a tribe of mentors. And then, of course, to become a mentor as well. I don't think you ever stop needing mentors, no matter how old you get. And then, of course, it's a great organization, um, a professional organization that provides so many learning opportunities, just a wonderful collection of events throughout the year that are helpful and encouraging. I I think anyone in architecture and design can find something about the organization that would appeal to them. And then it's also um, an opportunity to develop uh, leadership skills. It's a nice mix because we need all of that. Absolutely. And as part of um, the AWA plus D organization, I noticed that you're the archivist. My uh, main project as the archivist of the Association for Women in Architecture and, and Design is bringing the Wikipedia campaign to Los Angeles This is a campaign that's happening globally, but I wanted to have a specific regular uh, schedule of workshops teaching people how to write articles in Wikipedia to increase the number of articles about women in architecture and design, because that's another way. It's like if you go to Wikipedia and you look for a a quite well-known female architect and you'll see that she's not there Mm -hmm. and so wikipedia is a community of people just like us Mm -hmm. Um, and we can all learn how to do it and tell the truth about who's doing what or who has done what in the past you know our, our history the legacy and the contemporary works need to be known about absolutely So at one of your uh, Wikipedia writing sessions, how many entries are there that are created? Oh, well, it varies. So, and we don't stop at one session Mm -hmm. um, because sometimes people go home and work on it more. It's it's an ongoing thing. Uh I think someone coming to a Wikipedia editing session for the first time learning about it probably won't be able to create a brand new article that day. There are protocols. There's a bit to learn. But we've devised a system so that we can all kind of do it together, almost like an assembly line. 
you know, there's research to be done. There's uh, sources to to find. Uh, maybe citations, maybe list of projects, maybe photographs. And so we can all work together to put an article together for one woman, or you can work on one individually. But it's really about following the Wikipedia protocols so that the article can stay on Wikipedia forever. Right, I see. And be and have the factual information correct. And then the article can always be added to and updated. But that core article has to be really tight. Mm -hmm. Have you seen differences throughout your career? I mean, any sort of change um, in within the profession or within the academic setting just as the profession has evolved? I think in general society, um, there is more diversity uh, in the workforce. Uh-huh. Generally speaking, I think less so in some professions. Architecture is one of them. Academia is another. I think uh, the diversity numbers are lower in that. But I do think that in architecture, we know that U.S. women represent less than 50% of the students graduating from accredited architecture programs. And we also know that women AIA members Licensed architects and senior leaders are about 18% of the total. And one of the biggest issues is the loss of architectural talent after graduation or early in the career. And so we are now in kind of a perfect storm, which maybe started with Despina Stratigakos's book, Where Are the Women Architects?, and also the Denise Scott Brown Pritzker Prize petition and the missing 30 per, 32%, which is now called Equity by Design. There was a symposium, Architect Barbie, the Equity in Architecture surveys that Rosa Sheng began, the Women Wikipedia Design Campaign. There are small and large movements by individuals and professional organizations that are all working towards gender equality in um, the A and D community. And so that's been kind of jump-started. And between the surveys and the data collected, now understand a little more why women start off in architecture and may leave or may change their path. So um, the film tries to answer the question, where are the women architects? And so while the, the typical or the traditional role of architect, they may not be occupying, um, they have parlayed that architectural foundation into something equally as effective and that's what the film tries to do but at the same time we also want to bring awareness and action to increasing sustainable careers in architecture for all professionals mm -hmm. so i think um if we all have a kind of sense of support and solidarity and raise our voices with all these other movements it only helps all of us to maintain that momentum. Right. Can you tell me a little bit about 
the practitioner's documentary that you're working on? Yeah, so it began as a teaching tool for my professional practice class. I think that professional practice is better taught with a lot of input from professionals. (laughs) Sure. And um, I wanted the students to have real-time commentary and advice from professionals. Students always want to know, what skills should I have? What computer programs should I know? What's it like? You know, sometimes they don't even know what to ask about the profession. So I try to bring that to them. And in the past, I've had practitioners come into the class, but I found it easier to go to them and film their answers to the student students' questions. Uh, showing that to the students is really effective and makes the class more interactive. But as I would go to interview these practitioners on film, of course, the conversation would deepen and go off on tangents and just get more and more fascinating. Sure. And they shared with me, and and these were all women, they would share with me their individual fascinating navigations through the profession, Um, what left and right turns they took and why, or how they avoided or bypassed obstacles. And it was like this these wonderful curvilinear journeys um, that I just became fascinated with. And the, the many roles that these women have played in architecture and design and the positive but silent effect they've had on the design community in L.A. is amazing. And the credit they've not received. Mm-hmm. So... That's why I call them the silent change makers, because they've had their hands in so many policies, buildings, cultural milieus uh, in this city that no one is really aware of. Can you give us an example of one of those? There are just too many wonderful examples. And I think the point is is that um, I always try to let my students know that there is not just one career path Mm -hmm. in architecture or interior architecture or interior design, Mm -hmm. that um, they, just the way they are, there's a place for them that you don't have to play all the roles, Mm -hmm. that you can find a niche, or you can play several roles at different times throughout your your career. That they're just, I believe that there is an unlimited direction you can take this career if you're flexible and open enough and curious. And so a lot of these women have done that. I don't know if they've done it. I don't think they've done it consciously. I think sometimes they've done it by necessity. But it just, they've turned out to be these beautiful paths that have led to leadership roles that have changed the landscape of Los Angeles, um, that have influenced our culture, that have driven policy, that have beautified our environment, that have enriched our lives. There are just too many stories of that. Sure. 
So that's what we tried to reveal in the film and also express to the public that um, the process of architecture, the process of practicing architecture, the process of building a building or remodeling a building or whatever is much more intricate, much more complex, requires much more professionalism than the general public realizes, mm-hmm. um, is much more nuanced. Right. I think there's probably a strong misunderstanding for the general public of maybe who an architect is and what they do. Yes, and how many women they there are. Mm-hmm. So your goal for the viewer is to come away with broader awareness. Yes, more educated uh, exposure to the amazing diversity of women in architecture and design. One of the things I want to do is kind of replace the typical or assumed architecture culture model of this kind of citadel of internal discourse that doesn't include the allied professions. What do you mean by that? I mean that the architecture and design community is more expansive and much more nuanced than I think it is perceived. I think it takes a lot of different kinds of people to get these buildings built, um, to get these policies made. And I think we don't acknowledge all of those people enough. And they're not all architects. Sure. Or they're, they are architects not necessarily practicing the way you would expect them to be practicing. And so I just think it's, uh, it's more nuanced, richer than perceived. I also think these practitioners, these silent change makers, these allied professionals, um, I don't think the design community would exist without them, period. Sure. What I want to do is I want to unpack that in the film and illustrate the multidisciplinary stories in the context of the architecture community. Um, I want to celebrate them. Um, I think that they are brand ambassadors for design. I think they transcend boundaries. And I think telling their stories enables code switching. And I think all of these things need to be better chronicled. We need to speak more candidly about how women have bypassed obstacles, um, how they've navigated their careers and how they've actually carved out places for themselves that did not previously exist. I think that's really inspiring for women entering the profession. Mm -hmm. I think that as designers, you can design a career, but people need to see examples of how that was done. Sure. People need inspiration inspiration for that. I think when they tell their stories about how they leverage their education, because they think like architects, they, those critical thinking skills, that spatial acuity I was talking about earlier, mm-hmm. um, but they're using it in really fascinating ways. And I, I think that they have to be embraced as, I call it the glue of the design community. Of course, we want to correct what I think is a public misperception of what architects do, and we want to raise their cultural value, which I think also raises their economic value. Sure. Um, 
It's not a film to rant or complain about inequities. Uh huh. It's really a celebration. And it's a focus on these local practitioners who have gone unnoticed for some pretty hugely amazing accomplishments. Absolutely. Uh, I think it'll spark a perceptional shift, and I think it will enhance the current discourse on inequities in the profession. I hope it will fill what I think is a material void in the body of knowledge about women in architecture and design, because the legacy has a lot of holes in it, because there's so much missing information. We have to fill those voids uh, with what has always been the truth, which, what has mm-hmm. always been there. It's, it's really about correcting the record. I think a lot of people don't realize that some of these uh, practitioners are activists, some are developers, some are educators, some are scholars, writers, critics, some are administrators in management, in leadership positions. Some are artists. Uh, some are policymakers. I mean, it, it's just kind of endless, um, the roles that they play. Right. So these are the allied roles that you were talking about earlier, where the architecture profession maybe is excluding them or not recognizing them for their contributions. Yeah, I mean, they're and these roles, these, I guess we could call them allied, but I, I think there's a better word for it that I can't think of. These roles are multiplying. And some of these women have played multiple roles mm-hmm. throughout their careers. Sure. I mean, look at you. <laughs> so I think these are fascinating stories to tell. I think, I think there can be a huge shift in the perception of what we do. Right. Were there any surprises that you found when you were talking to these women um, that really stood out to you, you know, stories that you just weren't expecting from people? Because I assume you knew many of the women beforehand. I do know some of the women. All of the stories were surprising, all of them, each in their own way. Um, Because I don't think that women in architecture and design have ever really publicized their individual navigations through the profession. And so each one is like riveting. It's like as they tell their story, you're on the edge of your seat Mm -hmm. because you're not expecting the next turn around the corner and what led them to the next step. And then the, the most surprising thing was that they are all so humble. And I think they're extraordinary because when you hear about their paths, there's some extraordinary achievements. And they're just like so humble. It's like, oh, yeah, I, I did that. I'm like, <laughs> like, are you kidding? Do you know how amazing you are? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they're they're super humble. Wow. Do they know how amazing they are? No, I, mean- <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. Wow. I, don't, I don't think they do. That's why we have to tell their stories. Yeah. What have you learned during this process? Did you come into this with experience in making film? No, I mean, I 
I have for the last few years, I've been making videos for and with my students for projects within certain classes, but I didn't know anything about filmmaking and I'm, I'm not pretending to be a filmmaker now. So what I've learned is I don't know anything about filmmaking. <laughs> but I also learned that it sure is a lot of fun um, and that there are some parallels uh, in the process of filmmaking with the process of design. Sure. And so it feels, at least the, the little that I've done, it feels very natural to me. It feels very much like the design process. Um, there is, it takes much longer than you can ever imagine. It is not linear. Sound familiar? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it's creative and it's always changing and you have to be flexible because you start out with a certain vision. Right. And that has to change due to budget or time or location availability or materials or technology or weather. <laughs> Sound familiar? Sure. Right. <laughs> so it's really fun. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds hard. <laughs> it's really hard and it's really fun. Uh-huh. So where are you in the process now? I'm in negotiations with a distributor. Okay. So do you no, do you have any idea maybe when or where we might be able to watch the film? If I told you, I'd have to kill you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, you know, until negotiations are done, and filmmaking takes a really long time. Absolutely. Sure. So I'm not at liberty to discuss the specifics of our process at the moment. Okay. Is there a trailer available? There is. Yeah. It's, we call it a sizzle. A sizzle. Is that a film term that's oh, an, it's industry. an industry <laughs> <laughs> cool <laughs> i'm just showing up <laughs> yeah so i can give you the link to the okay sizzle. great we will put that up on the site and everyone should check out nina's sizzle <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening to our show i'm your host audrey sato and today's guest is nina briggs if you want to find out more information, check us out online at xx-la.com or XXLA Podcast on social media. I will put up links to information about Nina and her film. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review and share it with your friends. I'm always so grateful for your feedback and your support. And stay tuned. In 2018, my first episodes will feature interviews with Sarah Lorenzen and Weena Dows and their incredible stories. Thanks for your support and have a wonderful new year.